electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you, Scott. Hi, everyone. I'm Kelly Evans. And ahead today, the Fed is squarely focused on inflation. Vice Chair Lail Brainerd says bringing inflation down is the number one priority. So can the market weather a more hawkish Fed this year? And what does it all mean for the economy and for the labor market? Stocks fell when Brainerd made those comments earlier, but we're bouncing back now. The Nasdaq up almost 2%. Is this just an oversold bounce, or could the market prove to be a haven in these inflationary times? Plus, we've got RH, we've got Lulu, and we've got Asana all reporting after the bell. Can't wait to hear from the CEOs, RH in particular, of course, on inflation, the consumer, and the dollar after Microsoft's comments today. But first, let's get over to Dom Chu with the latest on these markets. All kinds of potential microeconomic company-specific catalysts. Kelly, to your point here. Uh, The Microsoft story we'll get to in a bit because it is a driver of some of the action in the Dow today. But this is pretty much session highs right now for the stock market overall. The Dow Industrial is up 195 points, just a hair above 33,000 right now, half of 1% the underperformer, the S&P 500, 41.45, meaning a 45-point gain to get to that level, a 1% gain there. And the composite index, 231-point gain, as Kelly points out, 2% there, 12,226. I will point out on the broader-based S&P 500, this is a big turnaround intraday. At the lows of the session, we were down roughly 27 points and, again, up 45 now to give you an idea of where that range so far is today. One of the best performing sectors out there right now is materials, and it's broad based with regard to what it is. It's metals and mining with regard to Freeport MacBrand up six and a half percent. Fertilizer companies like Mosaic up four and a half percent. Ecolab up nearly five percent. Analysts at UBS upgraded that stock. And then Albemarle with regard to materials on the lithium and battery side of things up about four percent right now. That's all carrying the materials sector spider to be up about two and a quarter percent. So watch that materials trade. Again, some broad based moves across all parts of the material sector. And the stock of the day, we mentioned it before, Kelly did as well, Microsoft cutting their full-year earnings and revenue guidance due in part to some of the effects of a stronger U.S. dollar. That's what they tell us. Those shares are off about three-quarters of 1% right now. I will mention, at the lows of the session, Kelly, Microsoft shares were down roughly 4% at one point today. So this does represent at least some either short-covering or value buying taking place right now. Microsoft only off. Again, fractionally now, it was down 4%. We'll see if that trend continues. And, of course, Microsoft, a component of the Dow Jones Industrial Index. Back over to you. An encouraging sign is it's back up to 270. Dom, thank you so much. Now, higher interest rates are back in focus today following hawkish, hawkish comments, I should say, from Fed Vice Chair Lil Brainerd. On Squawk on the Street this morning, she said inflation has not peaked and the Fed remains committed to tightening. How our policy is transmitting through the economy matters a great deal to us. Um, and of course, we, we thought that we are very attentive to financial conditions. But right now, um, very focused on inflation as our number one challenge. Um, and we're going to take the actions that are necessary to bring inflation back down um, to our 2% goal. 
Here with some more reaction and analysis is Michelle Meyer. She's now chief U.S. economist at MasterCard Economics Institute. Congrats, Michelle. Welcome. It's good to see you again. And, you know, the significance of this coming from Brainerd is that she was typically seen as somewhat more dovish. So what are the implications here? Well, I think that what Fed Vice Chair Brainerd is really reinforcing is that the Fed needs to rebalance the economy. And in doing so, they're going to hike interest rates until they feel like they have sufficiently softened demand and taken the excesses out of the economy, that they feel like they have a proper path towards price stability. Do they need to see 2% inflation? No, but they do have to believe that they have this balance in the economy where they will be able to engineer a much more stable inflationary environment. And they're just not seeing that right now. So the idea is to continue to march ahead until they see that really transmit through the economy. So when we hear her say inflation is the number one priority and we don't hear the emphasis on, for example, needing to make sure that the unemployment rate, you know, is comes down a, enough for all groups or all of those things that more reflect a, a wantingness to let things run hot. What does that mean in terms of how many more half point, half point or quarter point hikes or, or the path of rates? What does that sort of imply relative to what the market's currently expecting, do you think? Well, I think the focus is on inflation because that's where you have this real indication of overheating. They feel like they've accomplished really what they needed to do in terms of the labor market, very low unemployment rate, very high job openings, lots of churn in the workforce, which should all be indicative on uh, tomorrow's jobs report as well. Um, and they've created greater progress towards you know, equalizing the labor market as well, but almost too much so in terms of stimulating that demand. And now you have this really high and broadening inflation environment. So I think what the market is pricing in, which is this really fast path towards what you might consider neutral rates to be, call it between two and a half to three percent, is appropriate. The bigger question I think what Brainerd was trying to get at is, you know, at what point do they feel like they've done enough where they can take a breather? And there's no promises on that because they're going to be reactive and see how the data actually plays out. When you say that, that she's sort of implying there's no case for a pause in September, do you mean just a pause from half-point hikes, or was the market looking for a pause in hiking entirely? Well, I think the market is just looking for guidance of what point does the Fed feel like they've done enough, where they have the right level of interest rates for the path of the economy. Um, and, and I think right now, Fed officials don't want to promise that there will be a pause. I think my read of what Fed Governor, Fed Vice Chair Brainerd said is that, you know, yes, they could potentially slow that path. You don't have to continue at a 50 basis points cadence, but they're going to determine that when they see the data. So it still is a Fed that is trying to react to the high frequency data and see how the economy and the markets are handling this normalization of interest rates. And would you say, I mean, if you look at the jobless claims numbers this morning, only 200,000 claims last week, despite the uptick in reported uh, layoffs in tech companies and things like that, this shows no signs of an economy that is actively shedding jobs. I mean, President himself in his op-ed the other day said it would be a welcome step for the pace of hiring to slow from half a million to about 150,000 a month. And it continues to look like we might get numbers that are too strong, actually, on the labor market. 
Well, I think that is exactly right. It's this idea that excesses were starting to be created in the economy. You know, when you think about what a break-even job growth number is, it is closer to that 100 to 150,000 jobs per month. And we've been running just over 400,000 jobs per month in terms of creation. Job opening rates are still very high with nearly two jobs for every unemployed worker. So the idea is not to, you know, really crush the economy by any means. It's simply to normalize, to take out this this uh, this overshooting in a way of, of of economic growth and economic demand and generate this more of a sustainable coast for economic growth. And I think the data, as you highlight, Kelly, is still pointing to an economy that is strong right now and managing through some of these adjustments. Yeah, I, we, we would normally have said last decade, we would have said it's a good problem to have, but then you see inflation and you realize maybe it's yeah. not even. Michelle, we'll leave it there and it's great to see you again. Thanks for your time. Of course, Kelly. Thank you. Michelle Meyer with MasterCard Economics Institute. Stocks have been holding up recently well in recent weeks, managing to close out May with slight gains after a tough start to the year. But my next guest warns this has just been an oversold bounce in a bear market. Here to put some rain on this parade is Robert Pavlik. He's senior portfolio manager at Dakota Wealth Management. Welcome to you, Robert. And do you want to just react to this discussion we were just having about what we heard from the Fed today and, and the path of rate hikes? How does that play into your remarks? Well, first of all, let me say what I think what Brandon was, uh, at least my interpretation of it was, is that the Fed doesn't really know where they're going with interest rates. They're trying to figure it out just as much as the street is. And I, I think if you keep that into perspective, you'll you'll understand why the market's going through all this volatility. You know, uh, inflation from the CPI is at a little over 8 percent year over year. So you, you, you see Fed funds at 1% and you look for some kind of comparison and you see 1975 and the CPI was around 9%, but Fed funds back then were 5%, between 7 and 5%. And so there's a long way to go possibly to get this inflation really under control to where the Fed feels comfortable. But I don't think the Fed is that committed to sending Fed funds between 7 and 5%. I think they probably are, are thinking in a, in a range of somewhere between 275 and, you know, three and a half. At least that's my assumption. But they don't know if that's going to be enough. The problem is all this liquidity that's been added to the system. That's why we have the inflation. Uh, you know, Russia has certainly done a job on us with invading Ukraine. Right. But as far as the market's concerned, I mean, we rallied off of oversold levels. We got to essentially a full bear market down 20 percent, at least intraday, 3,900 on a closing level. I think what we're seeing right now is a bit of a bounce. People are looking for opportunities. They're looking at it either as a trade or as a long term investment opportunity for the retail investor out there who, who has a long term time horizon. This may be an opportunity to get back in. But most retail investors are not going to have that commitment to stay with the market when we go back down to test 3,900 and possibly break it to the downside. So I think you have to focus on quality. Sure. Quality companies, companies that are leader in the industry, that have barriers to entry, good solid balance sheets. And I think that's the key to this market here right now. So high conviction from you that we're going back down to 3,900 and maybe below it. But three names that you've been buying in the sell-off are Halliburton, Walt Disney, and Altria. Are those the only three? No, but those are the most recent three. So I bought Disney as an initial position. 
around the earnings report. The stock came down the, where it's trading now. I think you're basically getting streaming for free. The stock trades at 21 and a half times. It, it usually trades at 28 and a half times. I got $128 price target on it. Altria, uh, 10 and a half times, usually trades at 12 and a half. I got a $60 price target, almost 7% dividend yield. I think it's very safe. Halliburton, I think what you're going to see when we get to the midterm elections is a change in Congress, a more uh, energy friendly Congress. And that's going to eventually help more drilling in 23 and beyond. That stock trades at 18 and a half, usually trades at 20 and a half, $48 price target, 17 and a half times or 17 and a half percent on that particular stock. All right. Well, three tactical ideas for a market that could continue to move sideways, you say, if we're lucky. Robert, thanks for now. We'll check back in soon. You bet. Thank you. Robert Pavlik with Dakota Wealth Management. Coming up, ADP was a miss today, showing the slowest job growth since the start of the pandemic. But its track record isn't all that great. Up next, the results of CNBC's All-America Workforce Survey as we gear up for that official jobs report tomorrow morning. Plus, a trio of firsts on earnings exchange today. Asana's first report since snapping its longest weekly losing streak ever. RH's first report since its stock split and those infamous comments from the CEO last quarter. And Lulu's first result since unveiling its five-year plan to double sales. We'll tell you what Wall Street's expecting ahead on The Exchange. This is The Exchange on CNBC. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back. CNBC is out with a new All-America survey, taking a close look at the labor market this time. Steve Leisman here with the findings. Steve? Hey, Kelly. Yeah, while everyone talks about the great resignation, the CNBC workforce survey finds there was really a great reshuffle of the labor force as a result of the pandemic, a massive shift of jobs that still is echoing today. So in an effort to understand detailed changes in the job market, the workforce survey uniquely looks at 1,200 employed people, 400 people not in the workforce, but not saying they're retired. And we also surveyed another 450 people who retired during the pandemic. Let me show you some results now. Of those who were let, 28% of those who were employed were laid off at least once during the pandemic. Those not working, 50%. Those who retired during the pandemic, 25%. So you can see those layoffs during the pandemic led to permanent changes, at least right now, in the workforce. In fact, those who say they retired after the pandemic um, 57, and were laid off, 57% ended up retiring. 
a female survey respondent from Wisconsin writing in in response to the survey, was laid off from the job, had 21 years, called back, then laid off again. I believed it was for good. I was having health issues, had a replacement knee surgery, so just decided to retire. I was 65. Into the workforce, at least for now. Among the employed, this is even more startling. 43% stayed at the same company. 49%, however, went to new companies as a result of the pandemic or during the pandemic year. Other data showing 80% of the currently employed are satisfied with their salary, 70% with their recent raises. But hold on, 60% think they can leave their job now and find another good one of equal, uh, 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 an equal job. So it's unclear if the great reshuffle continues or if workers have now settled down, Kelly. All right, Steve, thank you for that, Steve Leesman. Let's get some fresh data now from Recruiter.com showing IT and software jobs are still the most in demand despite all the tech hiring freezes and layoffs we've seen and hybrid and in-person roles are now far outpacing remote. Let's welcome back Recruiter.com Chairman and CEO Evan Sohn. Great to have you back, Evan. Let's start with this uh, probably most pressing issue for many. What's going on with uh, people getting called back to work, the Elon Musk effect? You, you know, my, uh, my hat goes out to any company that sort of decides what sort of culture they want to create. And I think part of the uh, great reshuffle, as Steve just said, or the uh, great reevaluation is companies get to decide the culture go on a going forward basis. Uh, and whether it's a bank that wants in person, whether it's a tech company uh, that, that uh, declares uh, unlimited remote or we're only hiring remotely. And we saw Airbnb talk very publicly about that. I think if the companies are getting to decide uh, the culture that they want to create and the talent that they want to, uh, that they want to acquire. But in here, there are signs that in, you know, when, when I mentioned Elon Musk, but when he says, I want people back in the office now or else you leave, are we seeing a similar trend at other companies? Yeah. So what's interesting is we're now seeing um, we're seeing now hybrid and in-person outpacing remote. Um, so about 20 percent of the jobs that were that the recruiters are reporting on in the recruiter index are remote only. Uh, by the way, pre-pandemic about 9% of jobs were remote. So hmm. we're still much higher than we were pre-pandemic um, in, in terms of overall remote jobs. Uh, and I think that people are looking for, you know, the word that we're using now, the expression is really job mobility. There's far more mobility for employees today. Uh, Steve just said uh, in the survey, I, I could leave whenever I want and go find, you know, 60% felt that they could leave a job and get another job of equal or greater pay. So there's certainly more mobility now. Um, companies going either in-person or hybrid or that combination. All right. So overall, what do you think the message is uh, about the labor market? Is it more what ADP reported yeah. this morning, which is a slowing, or more what the jobless claims data tell us, which is full steam ahead? Yeah, I think it's a, we think it's a very tight labor, uh, labor market. And we look at that by the, the increase in companies looking for recruiters is actually up pretty significantly over the past recruiter index. So if a companies are looking for recruiters, that means they're having a challenge hiring. You know, we looked at the ADP numbers and you saw the challenge that the small businesses are having in hiring. But, you know, the question is, were they laying people off or are they having difficulty finding labor? And we actually believe that they're having a hard time finding labor. So that is good news, but also bad news, because it suggests that while we're not seeing any kind of recessionary slowing, that the labor market is maybe strong enough that the Fed's going to have to stay hawkish. Uh, final remark here as we look at the changing demand for work. Do you think it's notable that IT and software is still the number one uh, position where they're looking to fill roles? 
Yeah, I was kind of surprised about that myself. I thought that number would have really uh, gone down significantly. You know, there are still lots of companies that are well-funded and that need to find talent and finding talent in the, t in the IT space is difficult. Uh, and we've partnered with a bunch of companies doing this on a global basis. Uh, these companies need talent, they need high-tech talent and finding that talent is a challenge and they're turning to recruiters and other technologies to help them find that talent. So that's probably why it's still remaining very strong. All right, Evan, thanks. I, it still feels like a glimmer of good news, uh, even though it adds to our challenges or the Fed's challenges. Evan Stone, thanks for your time again. We appreciate it. Joining me as the chairman and CEO of Recruiter.com. Quick programming note, Cleveland Fed President Loretta Messer will join us right here on the exchange tomorrow with her reaction to the jobs report. That's around 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Still ahead, CrowdStrike and Okta are higher ahead of their results tonight. But if cyber is supposed to be a safe haven, why have the stocks been struggling? Plus, Sheryl Sandberg stepping down from Facebook, now Meta. What does that tell us about the future for the social media giant? And what legacy does she leave? And as we head to break, here's a look at the Dow heat map. More gainers than decliners. Boeing, the leader, surging 6% today. Amgen, the worst performer. Merck lagging as well. We're back in a moment. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. Welcome back. Let's check on markets, which are near session highs. The Dow's up 185 points, and that erases a 304-point loss. Top stock in the S&P today is SolarEdge, after Oppenheimer upped the name to outperform, expecting the global solar industry to grow 3 to 5x over the next decade. 334 price target, that's 20% upside. Uh, from its prior close, it's up 11% of that today. And Generac is, no, Gen yeah, Generac is the second best stock in the S&P today. We are all familiar with this name by now. It's up 10% after UBS named it their top pick in alt energy. They're seeing more than 80% upside, not because of the generator business we know so well. They're pointing to the potential for its smart home energy product line. For more on those calls, head to cnbc.com slash pro, and I might need to go check out their product line. Let's get to Tyler Matheson for the CNBC News Update. Ty? All right, Cal, thank you very much. And here is your CNBC News Update at this hour. The U.S. Transportation Department is lifting the Trump administration's flight restrictions to Cuba following Secretary of State Anthony Blinken's letter on Tuesday asking for them to be revoked. The restrictions prevented U.S. airline and chartered flights from going to Cuban cities other than Havana. 
Meantime, a federal judge in New York sentenced the disgraced lawyer Michael Avenatti to four years in prison for stealing from his former client Stormy Daniels. In February, Avenatti was convicted of wire fraud and identity theft for pocketing about $300,000 of Daniels' 2018 book advance. And Britain is holding four days of parades and pageantry to celebrate the Queen's 70th anniversary on the throne. The unprecedented Platinum Jubilee represents a moment of light for the nation after two years marked by the pandemic and royal scandals. Full color coverage of the royal celebration. Uh, tune into the, the news tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. And oh, by the way, if you watch a lot of NBC's coverage, Kelly, you will see our friend Wilfred Frost there. Which, Back to which you. makes it even more enjoyable. Yes. Uh, Tyler, see you soon. Thank you, Tyler Matheson. Still ahead, consumers getting picky about where they're spending money. Is that helping or hurting names like Lulu and RH? Plus, will sinking its teeth into the dental space be a catalyst for Asana? The stock down 68% this year, and options are implying almost a 30% earnings move. What you need to know on all three is next in Earnings Exchange. to the exchange everybody a software company and two high-end retailers are reporting tonight let's get right to the action in this edition of earnings exchange first up is asana the work software company is one of those not yet actually generating earnings names that's gotten hammered in the sell-off down more than 80 percent from the highs but in its six quarters as a public company it has not once missed on eps or revenue estimates here with the story on asana is our frank holland and with our trades today is david wagner of aptus capital advisors welcome to you both frank what are you watching well, number one, Kelly, just a lot of excitement about this work management stock right now. It's up double digits today, along with some other stocks that are in that same group. Um, this stock has seen steady growth during the pandemic due to hybrid work, people working in different places. Estimates are for a 36 cent loss, as you mentioned, not profit making just yet. Revenues of 115 million. But the really big metric to watch here will be customers and customer growth. Estimates are for 100 or just over 124,000 customers. That would be a net add of over 5,000 customers. A lot of people see the pandemic winding down in many ways, with many offices gently pushing their workers to come back to the office, or in the case of Tesla and Elon Musk, not so gently pushing workers back into the office. So the real question is, are customers still signing up for their services, or do they still need these work management platforms, or are people actually coming back to the office and working face-to-face? Now, the second metric to watch will be, and I have to say this right, it's a term we don't use very often, net-based dollar retention. Hmm. That's a fancy way to say, are your customers that you currently have, are they spending more money? Now, generally, if somebody's happy with your products, they're going to spend more money with you. If they're just kind of content and think you're okay, they're going to keep things steady until they can find something else. Obviously, if they're not happy, they might spend less or find someone else. True. So if they're able to grow that revenue from existing customers, a very good sign of the stickiness of, uh, of this company, of Asana right now, something that investors generally look for in cloud stocks, that stickiness and subscriptions that keep going and going and Net-based dollar retention. As, as annoying as they are, I do like learning uh, all of these new terms <laughs> and acronyms. Frank, thank you. And um, David, what would you do with the stock? What's your read on it? Yeah, so I'm probably not a buyer here. I mean, we all know that Asana, well, they've been a great, great growth story really since their direct, direct listing back in 2020. And I think that many investors really tend to focus on the competition in the space. But as we know, in early stage investing, there's always going to be a lot of competition. So investors can't fully focus there. So what are we focusing on right now? Well, we're focusing on billing trends, which did slow last quarter. 
And on top of that, the company, well, they continue to talk about investing in growth for the future. And that has been a successful playbook for a lot of these unprofitable, highly valued growth companies for quite some time. But here lately, well, that's actually been the downfall for a lot of these names. I mean, exactly. just look at the stock chart. It may be up 15% today, but it's still down a ton just this year. So we know that, you know, Asana, they continue to disrupt the workplace collaboration market. But I believe that investors want, uh, you know, better leverage at this scale, considering they have, what, 90% gross margin and 55% of the revenue comes from the digital space. Yeah. So we need these growth companies to really start focusing on free cash flow and profitability more so than a long-term growth playbook. Yeah, well said. So you're kind of leaving that one to... Um, on the sidelines for now. Absolutely. Let's move along then and talk about Lululemon because this one's been a bellwether for the whole athleisure, sometimes the whole retail trend that's dominated for the past couple of years. The shares are down 25% this year, but revenues are expected to rise 25% from last year. Analysts also watching any consumer trends and their costs. Lauren Thomas is here with all of the details. Lauren, what? tell me about Lulu. What are your expectations? Yeah, definitely a highly watched name across the retail industry. And they were a big pandemic beneficiary, right? Two years ago, a year ago, we were all stocking up on comfortable clothing and, and stretchy pants, right? But more recently, as you mentioned, we have seen Lululemon shares under pressure down about 25%, um, falling with the broader retail industry. Of course, there's been pressure across this space this year, I think in large part due to fears of softening demand, particularly you know among consumers that have been shopping for some of these items that sold very well during the peak, uh, peak moments of the COVID pandemic. Now, Lululemon, what, what's really going to be key to watch here is the company gave a forecast for fiscal 2022 uh, when it last reported its quarterly results. The company is calling for net revenues to be up anywhere between, between 20 to 22 percent wow. this fiscal year and for earnings to be between $9.15 per or $9.15 um, cents a share between $9.35 per share. Um, we've seen a number of companies um, lower their fiscal forecasts for the year, right? Just in recent days, whether it's Abercrombie and Fitch or Kohl's, we also saw Levi Strauss just yesterday reaffirm its guidance for the year. So it's really been a mixed bag, right? Dependent yeah. upon how retailers are handling these higher supply chain costs um, and, and, of course, you know, just inflation across the board. Um, Lululemon also recently laid out some five-year targets. So this company is planning to double its men's business, double its online sales, and quadruple international revenue all within the next five years. It's, you know, giving this pretty massive plan, of course, amidst this this really uncertain economic backdrop. Right. Um, so we're going to be listening for some color of just, you know, is it on track to achieve those goals since it announced them? Um, it now sells shoes. It also has a resale platform. It's got a membership as well that it's testing. So a lot of initiatives at play. But again, looking for the company to really follow through. David, quick take. What do you do with the stock and why are you watching the footwear biz in particular? Yeah, I'm definitely not a buyer here. Um, in this area, we've seen increased competition. And right now, I don't think brands matter as much as they did, say, 10 years ago, outside my favorites, Bush Light and Crocs. But, you know, in all seriousness, I think that the, the Lulu story, it's all about management execution and the necessity for continued product demand. As, you know, Lauren mentioned, management's calling for their men's division to double and their international business to quadruple. 
by 2026. That takes a lot of execution, especially on the international side, which, you know, doesn't have as much brand awareness. You know, brand awareness is in the USA and Canada, but not internationally. So, yeah, there's a lot of execution that really needs to happen here. And I'm skeptical of their execution. I mean, just look what they did two years ago with Mir. They said that, hey, revenue growth is going to be close to $250 million per year moving forward. Shortly thereafter, they brought that down to about half that, $125 million. So, yeah, yeah. I have a lot of skepticism here. But, you know, obviously demand weakness in the women's legging segment, um, that could definitely crush the stock. You know, that's held up quite well here. But I think any high-flying name uh, with a high valuation is an area of the market that I'm, I'm just not playing in. All right. So let's move on. Lauren, stay with us as we talk some RH, because this one really set the tone a quarter ago. It's down nearly 50% this year yeah. as the high-end retailer. Uh, last quarter, the CEO gave an extremely ominous warning to the market, saying, quote, I don't think anybody really understands how high prices are going to go everywhere. I wouldn't call it happy days right now. I'd call it pensive days be ready. Now, since then, we should point out Williams-Sonoma stock traded much better mm -hmm. after their results. So what is RH expected uh, to tell us tonight? Yeah, I'm glad you read that read that quote because a lot of those comments from CEO Gary Friedman did go viral after that last conference call, right? And and he was really um, you know lauded, I think, in in many ways for being the first retail CEO to really speak out about these issues, um, you know, ahead of Walmart, ahead of Target, ahead of kind of that week of retail wreck that we witnessed just recently. Um, so certainly, a lot of folks I think will be tuned in um, to listen just to what Gary Friedman has to say this quarter. Even even beyond the numbers that we see in the print, right? Um, we have seen RH shares trade off more recently. Stock is down about 45% year to date, last I checked. Um, I think in large part that was also because the company gave a more conservative outlook for the year. So similar to Lululemon, we're going to be looking for any affirmation of that outlook or any adjustments. Yeah. Uh, the last thing that I want to call out with this company is Gary Friedman has dubbed 2022 to be the year of new, the year of newness for RH. So, mm -hmm. you know, of course, this was also ahead of some of these um, issues, you know, the war in Ukraine, for example, that yeah. that retailers are working <laughs> through. Um, but the company had been on track to open a new hospitality space in New York, its first location overseas in England. So I think a lot of us will be listening for, you know, any uh, changes to that plan. And if 2022 will still be the year of, of new or if that could be pushed into 2023. And David, this is a stock you might actually nibble on. I, I may nibble here. I'm a fisherman here, so I like that reference here. But you guys hit the nail on the head here. Gary Freeman, yeah, he was definitely vocal and cautious on the pardon me, the macro outlook really moving forward. You know, he really tells it as he sees it. And this really creates a tactical reason to own this name here in the short term, maybe not long term. Yes, you guys mentioned that that bar, yeah, it's been set very low, and that should presumably create an opportunity for them to deliver on these results. But the really big thing that I'm focusing on here right now is, hey, well, for the first time in quite some time, the balance sheet for the company, they have $2.2 billion worth of cash on their balance sheets. So they can go out there and get some type of aggressive share buyback policy to the tune of maybe 25% to 30% of the overall market cap. Wow. You know, I think that's a lever that Gary would probably look to pulling right now. If you go back to 2017, he did that exact thing when the share was back in, you know, maybe a $30 share price area. Wow. And he rebought about 25% of the shares outstanding. So if he makes that type of an announcement, I don't know if it's going to be this quarter or sometime in the future. The timing is unknown. I think you get some type of pop in the stock, especially if you get some type of short squeeze, because the short interest in the name has just doubled over the last 16% or over the last uh, year to date, pardon me, from about 7% to 16%. So yeah, I'm, I'd be involved here. 
Great points. There's the 10-year and the three-year performance, which is still pretty stunning, given everything that's happened. We'll leave it there, guys. David Wagner, thank you. Lauren Thomas, thank you as well, covering all things retail for us today. Coming up, MetaShares got hit when COO Sheryl Sandberg announced she was stepping down yesterday. But they have since recovered. So just how big of a material change will her departure be? That's next. Look at the NASDAQ right now. It's up more than 2% as we hit fresh session highs moving throughout the afternoon. The exchange is back after this. Now that Sheryl Sandberg has announced her departure from Facebook or Meta, many are weighing in on what it means for the company. One of my next guests says it cements Mark Zuckerberg's A to Z role at the tech giant. CNBC contributor and New York Times assistant editor Ed Lee joins me now, along with big technology founder Alex Kantrowitz, who is also a CNBC contributor. Ed, I'll start with you. Takeaways, thoughts, impressions. Well, you know, the, I think the, the main sort of frame that we're all looking at this is the, the adult in the room has now left the building. The truth of it is, is that she's actually, you know, kind of left for a while now, right? So she's had this role for, for many, many years, but in the last few years, you know, Mark has really consolidated his power and kind of redistributed it with, within other executives, within other people in the organization, guys like Nick Clegg, for example, uh, handling public policy. So in a way, it's not as surprising as, as you can see, the market sort of reacted in a very muted way to her departure. Um, so at the same time, huge legacy, uh, absolutely crucial to Facebook becoming what it is today. Targeted advertising was a big thing that she did at Google and that she essentially invented or, or reinvented at Facebook. And these two companies really dominate the online ad market. So massive legacy there. Uh, it's a mixed. It's a mixed bag, of course. Cambridge Analytica, uh, January sixth. Uh, these are are sort of blemishes on her record. Um, but again, not a huge surprise. I, I think Mark has been in charge for a while. Is that a good thing, Alex? I mean, that does this company need fresh vision, or is his vision of the metaverse, um, Cheryl or no Cheryl, the right place to take this company? Yeah, well, I would say in terms of fresh vision, it already has the fresh vision, and that is the metaverse. And I've never heard the word metaverse come out of Sheryl Sandberg's mouth. Hmm. So to see her leaving at this point um, is, is, like Ed says, not a surprise. And I just think that this goes to show you how important it is that Facebook nails this metaverse bet. I mean, the company's putting all of its chips in the growth of AR and VR, and whether its legacy businesses survive seem to be beside the point. And that's why we're seeing this really tough moment for Meta in the market right now. Its stock is down because the market isn't interested in promises of long-term growth. It wants results now. It's just not the company's focus anymore. And once Sandberg, who sat in this you know, ads side of the company, talking about how small businesses can use Facebook to reach consumers, that's the line she's given over and over and over again, saw where the company was going. It was all of a sudden like, well, what am I doing here anymore? So it just underscores how important it is for Facebook to nail this bet. And to that point, Ed, you are also saying her significance was that she kept Facebook from being an even more, um, how did you put it, off-kilter company at times that, previously over the years. So who's going to play that role now at a time when there's more than ever at stake to Alex's point, and it's going to be difficult to get this transition right? That's exactly the right question, because going into the metaverse, creating it, it, it's what he's really doing is just creating another sort of social network with 
different kinds of bells and whistles or different sort of interactive sort of element to it, but it will still have the same pitfalls, right? It will still have the same issues and concerns. And, you know, without moderation, without real oversight, and they've attempted it, you know, with, with Facebook Blue, but they're actually taking money away from that sector of the business that is like human moderation and putting it into the metaverse. And that's, that's the goal. That's the aim. And they've been very clear about that. But that is, I think, you're not replacing one problem with the other, the, with, an, with a different one. It's the same problem that's going to just carry over to the metaverse. So that is exactly the right question. The fact is, I think Cheryl did lose her power for the last few years as these scandals mounted. So in a way, you know, that role was taken away from, from her in the last few years. Mark essentially sort of up took that up himself. But I haven't really seen, at least from his actions or his, his words yet, what that, how that will translate into a safer space, essentially. Sure. <laughs> Alex, parting word of advice for investors? Well, I would say if you're interested in long-term growth, then Facebook seems like a potentially good bet. If you want immediate results, and that's where the market is going at this point, I would stay away for a minute. I mean, look at all the challenges the company has. It's dealing with advertisers that can't get results or can't optimize because of Apple's changes. It's dealing with regulators, you know, breathing down its neck with no sign of letting up. It's dealing with competition. People like TikTok, even Snapchat is on the rise right now. We know the stock is down, but the product is doing well. And what is Facebook doing? It's it's really struggling to win over teenage users. And I think, you know, why is Cheryl leaving now? Uh, it's not a great moment at the company, but it doesn't look like anything is going to get you know, better anytime soon. And she probably said, OK, well, you know, we haven't had a moment where we've been on the rise. It doesn't look like things are going to improve and might as well just pull the ripcord now. And that's what I, I think she does. She yeah. did. No, and it's, it's so. interesting to hear you both kind of talking that way, even as the stock is up almost six percent today, but kind of getting more to the underlying what may or may not be going on here uh, to keep her around. We'll leave it there. Thank you both, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Ed Lee and Alex Kantrowitz. Coming up, traders looking for the Goldilocks of economic data. Not too strong, not too weak. The numbers out tomorrow that could provide the just right scenario next. And let's take a look as we go at futures pricing of gasoline. It's at a fresh all-time high right now of $4.20 a gallon. Some energy experts saying that could be $5 a gallon as a nationwide average soon enough if we stay up here at these levels. Oil also up today despite hopes for more Saudi output. We're back in a couple minutes. Welcome back. It's kind of like porridge, but traders want data that is just right. Not too hot, not too cold, as inflation and recession fears loom. Let's get to Bob Bassani at the New York Stock Exchange for a look at whether we can hit that with the jobs report tomorrow, Bob. And Kelly, uh, the question is, what does the stock market want right now? It wants two things. First, it wants an easing of supply chain issues. And second, it wants a soft landing for the U.S. and the global economy. That's Goldilocks. The first is showing signs of improvement. The second is going to be very elusive. So Daimler Truck Holding became one of the latest companies to say they were pushing past the global chip shortage. That's good news. And there are other companies like Foxconn and Volkswagen. They've also made comments recently that global supply chain issues were improving. Good news. But Goldilocks is the soft 
soft landing that everybody wants. And that's the problem. That's proving elusive. The market is running headlong into a problem. It needs economic data to be Goldilocks. And it's not working out that way. So if the data is too strong, the Fed is going to keep hiking. If the data is too weak, there's going to be fears of recession. So the May ISM manufacturing yesterday was two points too high. Just two points. And the market fell apart. Stocks dropped. Bond yields shot up. Traders are terrified of recession, and they're terrified of a strong economy. It makes everybody crazy. The main reason that high conviction is in very short supply right now. So Goldilocks is also expected from the Friday ISM services report and from the non-farm payrolls, both of which are supposed to be weaker than the prior month, but not too much weaker. You see, that's Goldilocks. Now, if they're close to these Goldilocks expectations, it will reinforce the idea that the Fed may indeed pause after hiking 50 basis points in June and July. If they're a lot hotter than that, like the manufacturing, it's likely we'll get the same reaction that we got to the ISM manufacturing yesterday. And you can see, Kelly, why everybody is sort of crazy here. What is it that we want? <laughs> we need that perfect Goldilocks. And it's hard to get that kind of outcome right now in the economy. It certainly is. Bob, thank you very much. Bob Bassani. Cybersecurity stocks have taken a hit lately, like Okta, down 52% over the past three months. But one analyst sees consolidation ahead, and the names he says are poised to outperform over the next decade after this break. Welcome back, everybody. The cybersecurity names have been having a rough year so far. CrowdStrike, the relative outperformer, down only 17%. They and Okta both report after the bell tonight. Okta's down 60%. Will earnings be enough to pair losses, turn the ship? My next guest hopes so. He's seeing opportunities in the space, calling cybersecurity a non-discretionary budget item. Joel Fishbein is Managing Director of Software and Cloud Technology Research at Truist. Joel, welcome. And here's my problem is we all say this and on some level we know it's true. And I remember I think it was Walmart CEO who said a couple of years ago that, you know, cyber was a non-negotiable in terms of spending. However, the stocks keep underperforming. Why? Well, it's a great question, Kelly. And that's because in, in this instance, um, it's been a seller sell anything market. And I think that's really the opportunity right here. Um, cybersecurity is recession resistant. Um, it's the fastest growing, highest priority of software. If you talk to any um, CEO or board of director, it's a topic at every single one. And, and they're frankly, suspending is actually increasing and it's top priority. So I think that's the opportunity. I think these names are going to actually outperform from here. And as you mentioned, you're going to see CrowdStrike after the close. The street's expecting 53% growth. They'll grow over 60%, right, in, in this quarter. So that's going to be one that uh, I think is going to outperform from, from these levels. You know, on a very fundamental level, are the businesses doing well? Are they growing? How are profit margins? Is there any reason fundamentally why the stocks would be underperforming? Well, there isn't any reason other than valuation. Um, as, as a lot of these uh, names in, in tech in general and in software, um, the names got overinvested. Um, people's expectations got ahead of themselves. Valuations got ahead of themselves. And that happened in the private markets and the public markets. But now these stocks are very, very reasonable. And I think uh, people that put money to work here, again, these we're calling these decade stocks, right? These are multiple compounders from here. Cloudflare, CrowdStrike, Zscaler, even Palo Alto to some extent will grow north of 
you know, 30% and deliver 30% margins. So you're not only getting growth, but you're getting profitability as well. Yeah. And you think even private equity could come in, maybe be a catalyst here. You cite Toma Bravo's acquisition of SalesPoint, uh, which is an above multiple on EV to, to sales basis. They have $2 trillion in dry powder. But I want to make sure that people heard what you said. There are four names here in particular you think are the best positioned. CrowdStrike, uh, Palo Alto, Zscaler, and the fourth was... Cloudflare, Cloudflare. Um, and each of them have over 50% upside from current levels based on our estimates today. Um, Yes. And final comment, would now be a must buying opportunity or are there other opportunities? I think these are the four that you can own right here, right now um, and buy. Obviously, I can't predict what's going to happen in the overall market. I expect these companies to outperform. But if you buy them today, you're going to be very happy over the long term. Um, And as as far as your comment on, on private equity, um, there is two tr- trillion dollars in private equity money out there right now. We're seeing it put to work. We've seen yeah. four acquisitions in this space right now: Mandiant, SailPoint, Proofpoint, wow. and Mimecast. When we expect more to to come. All right, Joel. Thanks for joining us today. Good to have you. Thank you, Joel Fishbein from Truist. And we'll be looking for more opportunities next hour. One analyst says it's time to buy boring. I'll join Tyler Matheson on Power Lunch, which starts now. You've been listening to the Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.